book of Ruth. And if you didn't bring your Bible this morning, uh, there's a red one right there in the pew in front of you. I think it's page number 185. A couple months ago, I was coming into the church, and I noticed there was a for sale sign down by our big sign on the road. And I thought for sure Jim Watts was putting the church up for sale. You know, I've been away a few days. When you go away a few days, you don't know what's going to happen. And I thought, boy, that's awful close to that sign. I think somebody's going to think the church is for sale. And I'm really surprised that we didn't get some offers. But it was the house that the church owned that was for sale. And just this last Friday, we, we sold it. It's that when you drive down the um, driveway out here, we church owns those two little houses, the cream-colored house and the white house. Well, now someone else owns the white house. And Al Finney lives in the cream-colored house. And when we bought that property, we didn't buy them for the houses, but we bought them for the land that they, they have. Each house had 10 acres. And we wanted the land, but the house just came with it. So we got the house and the land. And so we just subdivided it and sold a half an acre with the little white house. And church has still 29 and a half acres. Anybody need any land? Uh, we're thankful for your prayers. We've been able recently to sell the school property across the road, sell this property. And uh, the Lord has really helped us to, uh, to do his work, I think, in a, uh, in a good business-like fashion. And I just want to take this time to thank you for being so supportive of your church. In these economic times, it's good to know that our, our church is not in debt. And uh, our church is strong numerically, financially, and spiritually. And the Lord's people said, Amen. Uh, let's uh, look to Ruth chapter 3 as we continue. And this is our last message from the book of Ruth. And if you didn't get the other two, I think they're on the website that you can uh, listen there. Today we're talking to you about Naomi's plan for Ruth. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, the Bible says, Now Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? I've underlined the word security because in every generation, that's important. It really is. Whenever you start out in life, you're young, you don't think you need any security. You can do it all. You can climb every mountain. You can ford every river. Uh, you can do the hardest thing on the planet. But as you get older, you realize, hey, listen, uh, I can't do the things I used to do. Uh, and you start thinking about, hey, security. What about security for my family? What about security for my kids? Well, Naomi was older, and she had her young daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her, and he says, she said, listen, my goal for Ruth is her security. I'm going to watch out for her. Verse 2. Now, Boaz, whose young woman you were with, is he not our relative? I've underlined in the second, word, second verse, our relative. Uh, the reason why is because back in this time, relatives were really, really important in families. Not so, to, not so much today. You know, we live in this mobile society today. And uh, 
You know, somebody will say, okay, my kid lives in Dallas, another lives in New York, one lives in Seattle. Kids are all over the place. That's not the way it was in this culture. They all lived together. They were all there together. They supported each other. They needed each other because life was so tough. And they had to help each other out. And so whenever they got in a bind, they turned to their relatives, their larger circle, to meet their needs. And she talks about Boaz, who is the relative. He's out there working today. And then she says to Ruth, I want you to go wash yourself, anoint yourself. That's good advice, isn't it? Wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. Uh, the community in those days, were, were, they were agricultural communities. Everybody was growing something. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Let him get finished with his meal. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet. Now this is where it gets a little scary right here. Ruth, go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Ruth had so much confidence in Naomi. She said, if you say it, I'll do it. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of, corn, of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled. That'd be a little scary in the middle of the night. You're there trying to sleep out under the stars and all of a sudden your feet gets cold and uh, somebody's near me uh, and turned himself and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? So she answered, I'm Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing for you are a close relative. Now, this is all going to make sense to you in a minute. This is Ruth's proposal of marriage to Boaz. This is how she proposed to her future husband. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after younger men. Boaz was older whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. He said, listen, uh, I'm going to tentatively say to you, uh, I'll marry you, tentatively. And, and the major reason is because you are a genuinely virtuous woman. You are a good woman. And then he goes on and he says, this is the stipulation of marriage in verse 12. Now, it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. And he says, listen, I appreciate that you've talked to me, but you have to talk to someone else first because that relative is closer in the pecking order of relatives than, than I am. And so uh, in the morning... He gives her, down in verse number 17, some barley to take home to Naomi. Don't go home empty-handed, he said, to your mother-in-law. 
And when she got home, Naomi said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. And so we have this morning Naomi's plan for Ruth. Her plan was security. Remember, that was her first That was her first intention down there in Moab. Remember back in chapter 1? This is a sad story in chapter 1. Elimelech, her husband, two sons, moved to a foreign country, and her husband ups and dies on her. And then sometimes later her two boys die. And she said when she returned after her temporary trip down there uh, to the people, I went out full, but I came back empty. Boy, that's an understatement. And what she meant by that when she went out full was the fact that she didn't have any money when she went out, but she had her family. And she meant, I had a family and they loved me and, you know, it doesn't get any better than that in life. Can I have an amen? It doesn't get any better than that. You can have money, but that doesn't make a family. And that doesn't mean fulfillment. She didn't have any money. And so when she came back into town, she says, when I left, I went out full. Now I come back empty. That means she didn't have a family. She had Ruth, which she was committed to take care of her. And so Naomi had this plan in chapter 3 to take care of the security of Ruth. Ruth was, when she left Moab, was going to take care of the security of Naomi. And so you have two people trying to watch out for each other. And that's a good deal. It really is. And so uh, the security back in that day was found in marriage for a woman. You know, there are many purposes that we have in marriage. Uh, Financial security, emotional security, spiritual security, physical security. Those things were accentuated back in that day. Uh, And so this plan that Naomi had for Ruth was something that was founded in God's Word. You know, how many times have you said in recent years, you know, whenever you think about doing something for the Lord, you say, well, you know, I think God wants me to do this, or I have a leading that God wants me to do that. And then you do it and you say, boy, I can't blame that on God. He didn't really lead me to do that. That was me. We do that oftentimes. You know, we want to go a certain direction. We blame God. He made me do it. But here she says she didn't have to do that. She went right into the Bible, and she chose the words of God in the Bible to direct her future. And you know, when you see it in black and white, it doesn't get any better than that because you can, like, you can live under it because it's God's Word. And so what she said here is you have this close relative... Uh, out here in the field, his name is Boaz. Now, he is a goal. Uh, whenever I wrote this down and Diane, our secretary, put it on the, on the PowerPoint, she came in and she said, listen, you, sp- you spelled this word wrong. And she had changed it. Well, I always rely upon her because she can spell well and I can't. And I had, finally, I had one over on her and I said, oh, no. Go back to this spelling. This is a Hebrew word that is translated in English, goal, and it means a relative redeemer or deliverer, someone who delivers. Back in that day, the relatives of your family were relied upon to deliver you when trouble 
came to your house. And I'm going to give you four things, and you can write them down there in your notes, and I'm going to give you scriptures to write down with it that the goal was supposed to do for the family. First of all, he was to buy someone out of slavery. Slavery in most generations is a reality. It really is. And uh, what happened in this generation, even in the Jewish nation, whenever somebody went into deep debt, they would sell their person as a slave to work off the debt. And so when that happened, the other relatives would come to the aid and say, listen, we can't let this person be a servant or a slave because they're so deeply in debt. We've got to purchase, we've got to buy them out of debt. That was the job of a goal. Leviticus 25, 47 and 48. Also, a goal was called the avenger of blood. The avenger of blood in Numbers 35, 19. Or revenger. Remember, whenever a life was taken back in that time, it was the job of the goal, the relative, to go exact justice, revenge for the family. And so somebody came into your family and took the life, murdered one of your, one of your relatives, the goal would go and say, hey, listen, uh, I want you to get your will written down because I'm the goal and I'm going to take your life. I'm going to revenge the blood that was shed in my family. Blood for blood. You can find that in Genesis 9.5. Another job of the goal was to buy back family land. Uh, whenever somebody fell into debt, they would sell everything they had, you know, and we're going to see that probably very soon in America. People are going to be selling their family treasures, things they've wanted to hold on for years just to be able to eat. And so uh, they would have their land and they would say, listen, it's more important for our family to eat than for us to have this land. Let's sell the land. And so the relatives would get together and the goal would say, listen, let's get together and buy this property back so that the property will be in the name of its original owner. And then number four, the goal would carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. And so here we find Ruth, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. Ruth fit the picture. She was a childless widow without husband. And so Naomi was trying to find the family goal, the family person who would come and deliver this family. And if this union produced a son, it would be noted as the son of the deceased husband, someone to carry on the family name. And so a goal was to redeem his relatives from difficult, difficulty and danger. He was to care for their person, for their property, and for their posterity. And so here, Naomi had a plan. She didn't just dream this plan up. This was, this was laid down in the Bible for her. And so whenever you have a plan in the Bible, that's the plan we go with. Because we, if God said it, we believe it, and that's why we do it. And so she felt very confident sending Naomi out to find the deliverer for the family. Uh, and then she had a strategy. And uh, we referred to that earlier, verse 3 of, of Ruth 3, go wash yourself. That's good advice under all circumstances. Don't interrupt his dinner. And then anoint yourself. I don't know what kind of anointing she had. Maybe it was oil of delay. 
something like different brand back in that years, those years. But it was something. It smelled good. Go wash yourself, anoint yourself, get dressed up, put your best clothes on. Because he's out there guarding the harvest. Now, what does that mean? We're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 23 here. And uh, let's read it together. Then they took David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. You know, back in those years, it was an agricultural community, and their value was in their fields and in their, in their harvest. And so he was bringing in the harvest, and he was going to stay out there by the harvest and guard it. Nobody was going to get it, because that was his means of livelihood. And so she had this strategy. He's out there guarding his harvest. Uncover his feet. Lay down at his feet. And that was an act of humility. You know, we talk about a match made in heaven oftentimes. This was a match made in heaven, but it was also a match made by her mother-in-law. She had a plan. And uh, in uh, verse number 9, she proposes. And in verse number 10... He accepts. And in verse number 11, he says here, I think the major reason that he accepted is because she was a virtuous woman. She was a person of character. Uh, She was a clean living person. You know, whenever we think of that word virtue, we're always drawn to Proverbs 31.10. And we have that Proverbs 31.10. Let's read it. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. In that day and in this day, it seemed hard to find a wife who was virtuous, somebody who was pure in character. And he said, listen, I know your background. I've done a background check on you. You're a virtuous person. And uh, and I'm going to accept your proposal of marriage because you're the person I'm looking for to share the rest of my life with. Uh, in John MacArthur's Bible, he, uh, uh, in the Ruth section, he uh, printed a few things here that I duplicated about Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is the story of uh, the virtuous wife. And uh, he says that Ruth fits the picture perfectly. Number one, he says, she was devoted to her family... Number two, she was delighted in her work. Number three, she was diligent in her labor. Number four, she was dedicated to godly speech. Number five, she was dependent on God. Number six, she dressed with care. Number seven, she was discreet with men. And number eight, she delivered blessings. She was out giving blessings. And so he felt really fortunate that she was coming to him and proposing. Now, she was a wise woman. There was an age difference. On several occasions, he calls her his daughter. And so we presume that he was quite a bit older than her. But uh, he was eager to marry this younger woman because she was a virtuous woman. She She was the kind of woman that you would like to spend the rest of your life with. Uh, She was a wise woman. She came to him, I believe, on the basis of respect. You know, I hear people talking, and at every age it's this way. People say, boy, I really like this guy. He's so handsome. Or I'm really attracted to this woman because she's so beautiful. 
Well, you know, all of that fades real quickly if there's no respect. Respect is the foundation that marriage has to be built on. Is a person a person of their word? Is a person a person of their character? Now, she was attracted to him because of his godliness, kindness, and integrity. Now, ladies, that's the kind of guy you want to be married to. A person who is godly, a person who is kind, and a person who is in, has integrity. And he was attracted to her because of her selflessness. Remember, she wanted to live her life for Naomi. And her virtue. Well, that's the kind of woman you can live a long time with. Uh, this is a match made in heaven. It really is. And so, and so there is, though, this sticking point. And the sticking point is we can't make this thing work until we give the option of marriage to the closer relative. Now, I don't think Boaz was excited about that point at all. I don't know how many guys would have even brought that subject up. But he did because he was a person of, in, of character. And so after this whole story of Ruth chapter 3 here, he gives her a gift to take home to Naomi. And in verse 17, we find it, six ephots of barley he gave her. Now, if there were Sarah's candy would have been available, I'm sure that she would have gotten that. But since it wasn't, he gave her what he had and she was happy with it. And so in chapter 4, Boaz, remember, who is a type of Christ. If you were here last Sunday, I told you that Boaz is the hero of the story. Without him, the thing breaks down. He is a type of Christ. He is the leader, he is wealthy, he is wise, he is a person of integrity. He's the kind of person that can fix your problems. And so, Boaz went to work on it immediately the next day. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative, they found him at the gate. Now, the gate was their version of the city square. How many people here this morning were born in a, or grew up in a little town that had a city square? How many, would you raise your hand? I'm just curious. Okay, now, many of the little towns all across America, that's the way they were built. They had this little square, and Saturday was the big day. They'd come in, and they had all these little stores, their version of the mall. <laughs> and they would hang out, and you would see all your friends and all the people you knew in the city square. Well, these people had the gate. That's where everybody congregated, the gate of the city where people came in and out. And he knew that the first relative would be there. And so he went to the gate and he said, look at verse 1, come, sit down. He took ten men, verse 2, of the elders of the city and they sat down. He needed witnesses. And he said, I'm going to do some business here this morning. And I'm going to propose everything that needs to be done for Naomi and Ruth. And I need some witnesses. And so he goes on and he talks to the closer relative. Look at verse 3. Then he said to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belongs to our brother Elimelech. Now, Naomi needed money. And so what she had was a piece of land. And so she sold it. And so he said, the first item of business for the goal here is you, we need to buy the land back for Naomi. She needs her land. 
We don't want to see her permanently lose her land. So this was a land deal right here. Verse 4, And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of the people. And if you will redeem it, he said, if you'll buy it, uh, but if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next. He was next in the pecking order after you. He said, if you don't buy the land, I'll buy the land. So she has two buyers. And so the, the closer relative says, listen, count me in. I want that land. I'll buy that land for Naomi. Well, one hurdle's over. But now comes the surprise, verse 5. Then Boaz says, on the, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. He said, listen, there's another part to this deal. There's the land deal and there's the marriage deal. So do you want the next part of the deal also? Uh, verse 6, And the close relatives said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. Those were the best words that Boaz ever heard. He was sweating bullets up until this time. His heart was pounding. He was hoping that this guy would say, Listen, I can't make the deal. Uh, I'm unable. And when he heard those words I, in his heart, I don't know if he did it physically, but in his heart, he jumped up and down because he knew what that meant. That meant that he was going to marry Ruth. The closer relative bailed out, and he couldn't have been happier. And so Boaz is working out the details. Now, remember this. Boaz is a type of Christ. Uh, and Ruth is trusting him. Remember, she's sitting at home up here in verse 18 of chapter 3. And Naomi said, just sit still, Boaz will work out the issues. She's trusting him. Now, Ruth is a picture of you and me that has come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are allowing God in our life to work out the details. Now, this is really good right here. Because when a person comes to Christ through faith, what do they know about living the Christian life? They know little or nothing about living the Christian life. We had a lady in our church here a couple weeks ago. She accepted Jesus as her Savior. She said, uh, uh, I have studied Buddhism and some other religion, and I have come to the determination that I want to be a follower of Jesus. And she signed on. And then a few weeks later, she said to one of the ladies of the church, now please tell me what I have to do next. What's the next step? When a person signs on with the Lord, they don't know what the future holds. They just know that the Lord holds the future. And they're willing to trust Him with that, but they don't know what to do next. And so, and so Ruth is sitting home trusting Boaz, who is a type of Christ. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful thing that is. Uh, that's the position that you and I should be in. Uh, trusting the Lord, trusting in what God does through Boaz. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. The mission here 
is accomplished. Uh, Ruth has security. She has a husband and a child. And listen, it doesn't get any better than that in life. There is nothing that is beyond that. That is the epitome of the fulfilled life. A husband who is kind, godly, and with integrity. That a wife doesn't have to worry about him being out and about. That she knows he's coming home. Uh, That's security. Now, Naomi shares in the joy of Ruth's life. You know, there's no greater joy than to know your kids are doing well. Do you know that? Uh, I think if every parent could uh, stand and testify in our church this morning, they would say, listen, my greatest desire is to just know my kids are taken care of. My kids have a job. They love their wife. They love their husband. They're taking care of their kids well. I'll tell you what, that makes me so happy. Nothing else, nothing else can even come in second there. And so here's Naomi. She's worked so hard to bring Boaz and Ruth together, and now they're together, and they have a child, and he's a son. And so that means that Naomi is a grandmother. And there is nothing as good as being a grandparent. Can I hear a word of testify? testimony. Uh, having grandparents, somebody said one time if, if they knew how much fun grandparents or, or grandchildren were, that they'd have them first. And that's true. Because, you know, we, we'd love to have the grandkids come and spoil them. And, and we send them back home and the parents say, listen, we've got to cut those visits out because they're messing up our discipline system over here. They come into our house and they say, okay, grand, Grandpa, where's the candy? They were threatened before they came. They couldn't have any candy. Grandpa says, hey, listen, let's go down to Dairy Queen. I'll show you a good time. <laughs> and so they go home and they're like, they're like flying. They're filled with sugar. Uh, they're all messed up and, and your kids are ready to kill you. And your grandkids, they love you. Grandkids are wonderful. And so she becomes a babysitter, Naomi. You know, when, you're, when you live close to your, uh, to your grandkids, you become the babysitter. I know someone's going to say amen on that. That means that they need babysitting this Thursday, next Saturday, next Tuesday. They've got a whole schedule for you. And if anything comes up between time, they're, they're dropping off the kids at your house. Now, I'll tell you what grandparents live for their grandkids. They really do. Uh, and, so, and so here we find this family that, listen, this story is really good now, but just think with me a few weeks about how bad it was. Here were two widowed women coming back into Bethlehem, and they lost everything they loved. And they were coming to start life over again. Now, God has filled them up once again because what they did is they put their hand in the hand of the Lord who knows the future. Uh, Here's the verse. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Now, I know that You know, if they had it all to do over again, they'd probably want to turn back the clock and go back and Naomi have her husband, Elimelech, and 
her two boys, Malon and Kilion, and, and their, their life that she described as being full, they, they'd like to have that back. But, you know, life doesn't give us that option sometimes. Sometimes we lose things that we can never recover. Sometimes we make decisions that are bad decisions and we can never make them right. I think Elimelech did that. But we have to go on. We can't stop. We can't put our life on pause and become bitter. We have to become better because life moves on. And there are a lot of people who rely upon us to help them in life and say, so, so Naomi, she got up for it and she trusted God and Ruth trusted God and look what God has done for them. God has given them a new life because they did this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge God and he'll direct your paths. That verse works in every generation. It really does. Boaz works out the details. If you're here today and you need a savior in your life, like Ruth did, I recommend Jesus. If you come to Christ, he is greater than Boaz. And he'll work out all the details. I've had people say, well, you know, if I come to Christ, this will have to change and that will have to change. And I don't know how that's going to happen. And I don't know if this could ever happen. Listen, just give it to Christ and let him work out the details. Because if you try to work out the details, you'll never get to the place where you trust Christ. Because trusting Christ is an act of faith, not sight. It's saying, I believe that Christ is bigger than me and he's really God in the flesh. And I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. I can't see my way through on this, but I know he's the Savior and my soul needs to be saved. The Bible says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You know, this church is about souls. When people come to our church, we, we say, Listen, you have a soul. And it's going to go somewhere for eternity. And God's given you this time period to make preparation for eternity. And the only way that your soul can go in the right direction to heaven is through Christ. Because he, because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to heaven unless he comes through me. And so our church is directing people to heaven. Now, I'll tell you what, isn't that the ultimate experience that all of us want? And what happens is Satan starts throwing up all kind of obstacles Reasons why you can't accept Christ. Well, you know, if I accept Christ, you know, I'll be looked down on at work and my family won't understand. And What shall it profit a person if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Well, that's easy, isn't it? That's a no-brainer. Uh, just give all your situations to the Lord. I had a guy one time, he came to me, and he said, I have all these issues in my life. Don't I have to get them straightened out before I come to Christ? I said, no, you do not have to get your situation straightened out. You bring your situation to God and you let him straighten it out. You can't straighten out your situation. You can't cure the problem of the sin in your life. You bring your sin to God and you accept his forgiveness. Uh, you bring your habits to God. And he works out the situation for you. It's all by faith. And you might say, boy, I don't know how that could ever happen. Well, that's why it's by faith. 
we believe that God can make it happen because the Bible says, with God, all things are possible. And in our church, you are living proof that God has changed your heart and God has changed your life and all things are possible. A number of months back, a young girl came to Straight Street. That's our youth center over here in South Park. And came in, and I think it was to you, Josh. She said, Straight Street saved my life. Straight Street saved my life. What she meant is she met Christ at Straight Street, and he saved her life. Jesus is in the life-saving business. He's saving us for time and for eternity. And I'll tell you what, when you come to Christ, he'll work out all the details. You just trust him, put your faith in him, and he'll bring it all together for you. There is uh, one verse that I discovered in the book of Job, chapter 19, verse 25. Listen to this. It says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at that last day on the earth. The word Redeemer there is the word goal. For I know that my goal lives the Lord, and he shall stand at the last day on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. You know, she turned to her goal, who was Boaz. We turn to our goal, who is Christ, and he's far greater than Boaz. And I want to encourage you today, don't live one more day without the Lord. Let God work through the details of your decision for Christ. Come to him and say, Lord, I have sinned. I need your forgiveness in my life. I'm lost. I'm not going to heaven, and I know it. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, and I'll trust you with the future of my life. Now, if you can trust Jesus with your soul for eternity, you ought to be able to trust Jesus with your soul for now. So let's do that, all right? Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed in prayer today. Jesus is our goal. He's the one who delivers us. And we have to come by Him, come to Him by faith. We don't present Him our good works because they're not acceptable. Our faith is acceptable. We accept Him by faith. And we say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you but my sin. And when you make that proposition to God, he says to you, that's exactly what I want from you. I want your sin. I want you to acknowledge that you're a sinner. Now, you may be here in the church today, and you could never be classified in the classification of a great sinner because you've seen many of those. But no matter where you are in the classification, we're all sinners, the Bible says. We've all broken the law of God. We've all worshipped other idols, our job, our vocation, our, uh, our hobbies. They're all gods. And God wants us to come and acknowledge that and say, Lord, I have sinned. I have offended you. I haven't lived for you. Forgive me. And if you'll do that, I'll tell you what, God will direct your paths. He'll give you a life that's full, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. And it doesn't get any better than that. And so Satan is trying to put every roadblock in front of you to stop you from making your decision for Christ. I want you to push the devil right out, out of your way today. Say, Lord, I'm not going to listen to you anymore, devil. 
I'm going to listen to God. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm going to believe that. If I believe in Jesus, I'll have everlasting life. Dear Lord, move among us today. I pray for those in our church today that have never crossed over, that have never made this commitment. I pray this will be their day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together, please, as we sing to the Lord. If you're here today and you'd like to just come and pray at the altar as we sing, I want to encourage you to do that now. If you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior, you'd like to have one of us down here at the front pray with you, we will. And so uh, the altar is open, and as we sing, you come.